Psalm 43 is a prayer for deliverance. Many believe that it's actually a continuation of Psalm 42. And certainly it's probable that they are related because verse 5 offers the same refrain as Psalm 42 verse 6. It is a prayer offered by the godly remnant of Israel who cry out to God to act on their behalf during the tribulation. And so in some sense, Psalm 43 is prophetic. It looks forward to the Jewish remnant during the days of the tribulation. And though we as believers will not live during the great tribulation, we will have been raptured. The lesson for this from this psalm is still applicable to us today in the midst of our daily trials and tribulations. And so Psalm 43 is a prayer for deliverance. A prayer for deliverance. We'll begin in verses 1 to 3 with the remnant's cry. We'll see the rem remnant's comfort in verse 4. The remnant's confidence in verse 5. So let's begin with verses 1 to 3. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. The remnants cry. The remnant of Israel is speaking. And they call upon God, vindicate me, O God. The word vindicate here is a legal term calling for judgment. Judge us. Now, it wasn't judge them because of sin, but judge their situation, judge their affliction, and deliver them. They want God to be their defense attorney. Plead my cause against the ungodly nation. Now, the ungodly nation is a reference to the breakers of the covenant. Now, during the period of the tribulation, we know that a covenant is going to be made with Israel by the Antichrist and, and his uh, ten-nation confederacy. And they are going to make a covenant. And the Antichrist, at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years in, is going to break that covenant. Daniel refers to it, Jesus uh, refers to it in Matthew 24, as the abomination of desolation. He's going to break the covenant that he made with Israel. Uh, he is going to cause the sacrifices to cease. Uh, he is going to uh, call the Sabbath, and, or call off the Sabbath, or rather uh, uh, ban the worship of God on the Sabbath. And he is going to walk into the temple, into the Holy of Holy Places, and set himself up as God. He is a covenant breaker. And those aligned with the Antichrist are covenant breakers. And so the, uh, the Jews, the Israelites, they're going to flee the land. They're going to run to the wilderness. They're going to hide in the mountains and the caves and so forth. And they're going to be enemy number one to the Antichrist. And so they're now plead our cause against the covenant breakers. The, the parallel line continues, deliver us from the deceitful and unjust man. That's the Antichrist, the deceitful and unjust man. He broke the covenant in the midst of the week, in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, three and a half years in, and deliver me from the deceitful, unjust man. So we know something about the Antichrist. He's deceitful. He's a man of lies. Uh, of course, he's empowered by the father of all lies, and he's unjust. He's unrighteous. Here the remnant is asking God to send his light and truth to lead them back to Mount Zion, to God's holy hill. Psalm 2.6 tells us that's Jerusalem where the house of God, the tabernacle, stands. They need light to illumine the way, and it's reminiscent of the pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness. If light illuminates the way, truth defines the way. 
as Psalm 25 verse 4 and 5 tells us that the way it is the way of truth. So God sends his light and his truth to lead his people. In much the same way, when we're facing our daily trials and tribulations, we too need God to direct our paths. We need him to light our way. We need him to give us the truth. And indeed, who is Jesus Christ? But none other than the light of the world. He is the truth. And so we need Jesus Christ, the light and the truth, to guide us as we go through this life, as we go through our daily trials and tribulations. And so as we're going through the struggles that we, that we encounter in this life, we need to cry out to God, just like the remnant will. We need to cry out to God and ask Him, Lord, direct my path. You know, it's reminiscent of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Uh, Lean not unto your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Let Him direct and guide your path. Now look at their comfort in verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. They want to once again enter into the presence of God. Now, just so we're aware, they begin praying this prayer when the covenant's broken. They're going to pray this prayer for the next three and a half years. It's not instantaneous. And it's good for us to understand that when we're going through trials, when we're going through our own tribulations, just because we pray to God doesn't mean there's going to be an instantaneous answer. doesn't mean that all of a sudden, boom, it's going to, everything's going to be back to normal and be better. It took three and a half, it's going to take three and a half years before God answers their prayer and brings them back into the land and brings them back and re-erects the temple and cleanses the temple so that they can go back to the altar. But notice they want to get to the altar, God. To God, my exceeding joy. This is worship restored. There's joy as God's presence. They're praising him on the harp or the lyre. A lyre is a stringed instrument with anywhere from 3 to 12 strings. Is that your comfort? Are you comforted being in God's presence? Are you comforted when you worship God? When you have the opportunity to praise God? Is God your joy? Is he your happiness? Is he your gratitude? You know, so often we're going through those trials and tribulations. We're miserable. And yet, as James tells us, even in the midst of trials, our joy can be full. But we need to ask God for wisdom. You can still have joy. These, these, listen, these people are going to be fleeing for their lives. And they're praying, God, get us back to the land so we can worship you. But God's still their joy. Because even though they're no longer in their land, even though the covenant's been broken, even though they're on the run and fearing for their lives, guess what? That cannot take away the fact that they are redeemed. And if we would truly grasp and understand what it means to be redeemed, to truly think and meditate on the fact that I have been redeemed from sin, from death, from eternal damnation in the lake of fire then we too might find some joy. Only God's light dispels the darkness of grief, of depression, of the taunts of our enemies. That light brings deliverance, brings healing, brings guidance. In much the same way, Jesus Christ is that light, isn't it? Isn't he? 
He dispelled the darkness of sin in our lives. The grief, the depression from sin, He's removed. He's brought deliverance. He's healed us. He's guided us into the presence of God where we can worship. I'll tell you, my friends, the most miserable Christians I've ever met are those who know Christ but are not living for Christ. And I've got to tell you, they don't have the best of both worlds. They've got the, both, the worst of both worlds. They're no longer satisfied in their own life, old life, but they're not satisfied in their new life either. But you know, the blessing is they can be restored. If that's you, you can be restored. You can know the presence of God and the joy that comes and the work of restoration that comes that will lead to the worship of God. So that the Holy Spirit can renew you with joy inexpressible, as 1 Peter 1.8 says. Does that describe you? Are you trying to live in both worlds? No man can serve two masters. You love one or hate the other. Hate the one, love the other. What is it, Christian? You say, well, I'm not satisfied. I, don't, I hate my old life. Then give it up. Why won't you just give it up? Why does it still have an appeal for you? Why is it still hanging on to you? Why are you still hanging on to it? I can't answer that question for you. You need to examine yourself and answer those questions for yourselves. But if you're truly a child of God, then you'll truly want to give it up. You'll truly do whatever it takes to forsake those old ways. And when you do, you'll know joy inexpressible. Finally, look at verse 5. Verse 5. The remnant's confidence. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. The oppression of the psalmist's enemy, the silence of God, and the psalmist's grief lead to this refrain. Why are you in despair? Listen. I can understand why they're despairing. They're running for their lives. They're hiding out in the hills and in caves. The, 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 the death is, is on the move against them. The Antichrist is searching them out. And they're despairing. Why are you disturbed within me? Why are you murmuring? Why are you growling? Why are you discouraged? Why are you in turbulence? Why are you agitated? Now, you know, we might think, well, because... Of what's happening. No. They were going through this despair and disturbance, this turmoil, this depression, because God was absent. Or so they thought. You know, sometimes when we're going through our trials and our tribulations of this life, we think God is absent. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. You know, I, I, I hate that. Be very blunt. I, I, I hate when people say, nobody understands. Nobody gets it. First of all, that, that's a lie. First and foremost, God does. And when you say no one, it's, it, it, it's, it's paramount to blasphemy against God. Because God indeed is a person he is your living heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you. And when you make this statement, no one understands, what you're, what you're saying is God does not know. Oh, that's not what I mean. 
Well, mean what you say and say what you mean. Because what you just uttered was blasphemy against God. You're, you, you're so focused on yourself that you're denying your theology. You're denying what you really know or claim to know. Israel, during the tribulation, many of them will feel the same way. I'm all alone. And man, when that, when that thought begins to creep in our minds, boy, we need to forsake that. We need to confess that. And that's why the psalmist here says, hope in God. God has not abandoned you. God has not turned his back against you. He has not forgotten you. Continue to hope in him, for I shall again praise him. See, hope knows that praise will return. They know that they're one day going to be restored to the land. They're going to be back in the temple. They're going to be worshiping God. And you have the same hope, Christian, because of the God who raised you from the dead, who, who, who saved you from the lake of fire, who removed his wrath from you, who loves you as his own child, who has betrothed you to his dear son, if he has done all of that, then why would you even think for a moment that in your time of difficulty, in your moment of distress, in your trial or tribulation, that he's abandoned you? If that's you today, I say hope in the Lord because he's going to deliver you. He has not abandoned you. You will receive the help of his countenance the salvation of his face. He has, a, he, had a future, he has a future for Israel and he has a future for you because he is the living God and he wants people to praise him for all eternity. The very fact that you are part of those people who will praise him for all eternity means God has a future for you. So hope in him. The help of my countenance and my God. Is he your God? If he is, you've got hope. That final refrain is a refrain of strength. There's no reason for the psalmist's soul to be cast down, to be distressed or disturbed, because light is coming. And, the, and the, the, these Israelites found, will find encouragement in the confidence and the hope that they will yet praise the Lord. Listen, the remnant wasn't exalting in freedom from their enemies. They weren't simply exalting in a return to their native home. They were exalting in the privilege of being able to praise the Lord once again. And my friends, that's where our hope needs to be. Our hope needs to be on that opportunity to praise God once again. You know, when, when we talk about getting through trials and tribulations, we somehow think that, well, if I get through this trial, I'm not going to have any more trouble. If I get through this time of tribulation, you know, everything will go back to normal. Who says what normal is? Who said that when that trial is over, things are going to be better? Things may be worse. Trial may be over, but things may have changed. But you shouldn't lose hope in God because hope in God, the, the focus of our hope is, the, is to be able to praise and worship God. That's truly what it is. You know, when we think of that in terms of even the pandemic, Oh, I hope for this, and I hope for that. You know, everybody's got all kinds of hopes. You know, and the biggest one I hear is, man, I hope we get back to normal. When are we going to get back to normal? And I, and I always like to ask, well, what is normal? 
You know, what do you think normal is? Well, normal's doing this, normal's doing that. And I said, really? I can't guarantee that normal's ever going to return. But I can tell you this. No matter where we are at, no matter what room we worship together in, we can still praise God. Think about it. No matter what happens in this world, we can still praise God. So we're not hopeless. Oh, well, you know, things are getting that bad out there. Yeah, they, and they will. Things are out of control, they, and they will be. But neither life nor death, nor principality nor power, nor things to come can separate from the love of God. We still have hope. And our hope is to be able to praise Him. Father God in heaven, Lord, as we have considered Psalm 43, this prayer for deliverance. If there's someone, Father, listening who's going through something, I pray that they just, they're overwhelmed by, they're in distress over, they're, they're depressed by it, Father. I pray that you would deliver them. I pray that you'd restore their hope. I don't pray that, Lord, they'd have hope in healing. I don't pray, Lord, that they'd have hope in normalcy. I don't pray that they'd have hope in anything this world has to offer. I pray that they'd have hope that as you deliver them, they can praise you. I pray that as you deliver them, you'll restore to them the desire to want to praise you, to want to worship you. The beauty of worship is that we can do it no matter where we're at, no matter the, the, the state we're in, or the standing around us of this world. We can praise and worship you. So Father, I pray that you'd comfort the afflicted, but Lord, restore their hope. Renew within them a desire to worship, a desire to praise you. And as they do, I pray that Lord, you would lift their countenance so that they may see your face and know that you will deliver them, that you will restore them again to that place where they can praise and worship you. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.